0: Welcome to A Flash of Beauty, the podcast, an audio experience dedicated to the further exploration of Bigfoot and the people Bigfoot has revealed itself to. What started as a documentary of personal narrative encounter stories and expert testimony has now shifted into a deeper inquiry into the forever changed lives of those that have witnessed firsthand this hidden truth. My name is Tobe Johnson co-producer of Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed. Join me along with the crew and creators of this doc, director Brett Eichenberger, producer Jill Rimmen-Snyder, and cinematographer Michael Ferry, as we go back into the trees to sit down once again with each guest in search of the truth, no matter how strange. Well, with me tonight is again jill remensnyder and brett eichenberger the creators and crew director producer of the documentary flash of beauty hello gang hello greetings how are you greetings all right so today we have a great guest uh diane stocking who is in the documentary about halfway midpoint through the dock and she has an amazing amount of evidence uh, if you sit and talk to her, which you're about to listen to uh, our interview, and she's going to talk about that 50 years experience. But, um, you know, her her video that she showed, uh, the video that you shot, Brett, the photographic evidence, uh, everything she brought to the table for this doc as far as Sasquatch evidence is concerned is pretty compelling. And we're talking about the moment where Diane talks about this water re reclaiming site in florida and the uh the sasquatch that was seen watching was it the screensaver of the windows 95 that it was yeah, it watching was like, through the pane of glass
1: yeah it was like the it was like the ponging windows 95 screensaver which i would get caught watching all the time right my when i was windows based no offense to those that still are but When i was windows based i was always having problems it was either the blue screen of death or it was the screensaver so i can't maybe the maybe this particular bigfoot was having computer issues and needed
0: it it tech support (laughs) right i know is he a pc guy or is he a mac guy we don't even know We don't know. We can't profile him and say just because he's redheaded and eight foot tall, he's a PC guy. But I think he might be another
2: mystery, another (laughs) mystery that we need to look into further.
0: I mean, just the idea, just the, 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 the mental picture of imagining a Sasquatch exposing. I don't mean exposing itself. We have those kind of stories later in the show. Coming out into the open and watching a Windows 95 screensaver bounce around eight feet tall up against the glass window and then having this uh, this gal watch this whole thing unfold and then to have trace DNA or trace evidence left on the glass. I mean, it's an incredible story and we get into it. We talk to, uh, Diane about that sighting and, and what she found and the rest of the story with that. But we're talking about a gal that has 50 years of experience beating the bush, beating the Everglades in Mm -hmm. Anaconda territory. So, I mean, I wasn't prepared to talk to a true Xena warrior princess.
1: It's (laughs) true though. It's really true. Diane has seen it all. Um, She's been through the thick and thin, and uh, she's seen a lot of really interesting physical evidence. And in, I think, I think the the prints that she got in Florida were some of the earliest prints, um, if I'm not mistaken. You know, in in Bigfoot research, and they're really compelling. The photos
0: that are in the film are really compelling compelling so she'll talk about that a lot and comparing because there's other prints out there that you know as this phenomena grows and as the data collects over months years and centuries hopefully we'll be able to measure up diane's evidence against other things other handprints um you know through the years looking at all the uh the data there and she's she's a very no-nonsense gal and she cuts right to the point which i love I don't like a lot of ambiguity and a lot of careful thinking and talking, obviously. (laughs) And she's, she's one of those. So I appreciate that in her. And um, so you'll get a flair for that. Jill, what are your takeaways from our time with Diane? Uh,
2: I think that conversation with Diane could have gone on for like another hour easily. Um, You know, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to spend too much time on like, asking like more florida related questions but now my mind is uh mm-hmm. you know i'm like well like how far south what other areas so i might have to hop on the bigfoot mapping project and uh, take a look see if there's any uh, key west well if
0: Sasquatch you're listening signs. now get your google maps open already because we're going to talk a little bit about this area and I guess prepare to have your mind blown for how much of the everglades is still readily available in florida um it's a scary wonderful place and it makes me love the pacific northwest all the more (laughs) so take a look at uh, your google maps you understand what i mean yeah yeah
1: oh yeah yeah we were down there i mean we were standing on the edge of that everglade Whatever you want to call it, a mess, a mess of Everglades. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm frightened of mm-hmm. whatever it is that lurks in there. You know, I'm less frightened of the Bigfoot skunk ape than I am mm-hmm. of everything else—the roaches and the raptors and stuff. But, anyways, yeah. What about
2: that alligator we saw at the pond outside of Cracker Barrel?
1: <laughs> yes yes i
0: was not afraid of the alligators why is it when anybody says cracker barrel there's so many stereotypes fill my head i've been to cracker barrel by the way and i get it like it's our it's their sherry's or their denny's but yeah okay Barrel. i think up. it was a waffle it was a waffle house was it oh was it no it was a <laughs> cracker barrel okay
2: because okay. i looked it up on the map and <laughs> you at home listening can also look at the map and you can see where yeah anyways <laughs> <Enough>. yeah
0: <laughs> i'm fresh back from tennessee so i i spent my time at cracker barrel and um yeah anyway we'll leave it at that well our interview uh, why don't we get to it with our uh, outstanding guest here all the way i think she's in the pacific northwest but her heart's still in florida let's talk to diane stocking All right with us now is for certain diane stocking one of the stars of flash of beauty bigfoot revealed hello diane hello it's great to have you on the line here and boy oh boy did your showcase in this doc make a difference for a lot of people that watch it including myself now um i'd never heard your story before in fact um you know for me it was there's a lot of questions i have about the few minutes that you're in this documentary because you say a lot and you've seen a lot but um tell people a little bit about your background as it relates to who diane was and what she was doing in florida
3: okay well born in uh south florida homestead air force base uh Lived in a little place called Cutler Ridge, and then moved up to North Florida to go to college, where I received my degree in forestry. Um, the, I mean, the main reason I went into forestry was because of Bigfoot research. I figured I'd have a lot better chance being out in the woods all the time, and I might have, you know, uh, better luck finding something. So uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, I got my degree in forestry, worked for the federal government, marking timber, uh, worked for the Florida state fish and wildlife, um, then yeah, went on reading meters for Florida Power and Light. Yeah, I've most of my jobs have been outside.
0: Now. Earlier in your life, uh, was there talk as a little girl about Sasquatch being reported or did they even call it Sasquatch? What are some of the names that they might have used out there?
3: Bigfoot and the dreaded skunk ape. (laughs) Yeah, Um, there was. You know, I remember when I was around 12, you'll see those stupid tabloids at the checkout at the grocery store. And I didn't think much of it because most of it was about the yeti you know in the Himalayas and, and whatnot um so there wasn't really a lot and then the uh Patterson Gimblin film came out and I saw that and then uh the um, experience that I heard about when I was 14 that just totally hooked me. Um, and that was a gentleman by the name of Smith hit one in his car. And I it was on I looked it up because I wasn't sure before when I had I last talked to Tim Halloran and them. It was on um, Highway 27, State Road 27, which runs along the east edge of the Everglades. And anyway, he hit one with his car and called the police and uh, Harvey Truman comes out and goes off into the bushes to see if he, you know, find this bear that this guy hit. And uh, this thing stood up in front of him and then turned around and it ran one way and he ran, ran back to his car and called for backup. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it was three or four days of uh, a lot of police presence in that area that Uh, of the Everglades looking for this thing with dogs and helicopters and everything else. And the, the, the whole fact of the police presence is what got me hooked on what was this thing and how can I find out more information about it?
0: Right. So that you had a lifelong interest kind of early on. And for the people that are maybe new to the fact that there's different sasquatches, uh, in fact in the documentary you bring up the fact that you know sasquatches aren't elks. they're not whales. You call them individuals. Some are grumpy, happy, they have personalities. But beyond that, I mean, tell people because you're in the know as far as shapes and sizes do they look the same out in Florida, do, you know, as far yeah. as the Pacific Northwest, yeah. what are some of the differences for the dreaded skunk ape?
3: <laughs> the only the the only difference I found uh between uh say the southeast or even the east coast um and out here was there were more sightings of um red auburn cinnamon colored hair. But Other than that, shape, size, things like that were identical. I mean, to me, they are not separate, you know, species just because they're in different areas. Um, To me, it's just more of the area they live in, say, British Columbia. They might get bigger out there because their food supply is so much better. Um, And genetics. And... Things like that, you know. Uh, I think they are of the same species, just have different names geographically.
0: Okay, I don't want to hog the mic here, Jill. Brett, any questions? You got You got your mic. There you go, Jill.
2: I, I was on mute. Sorry. Um. Well, Diane, one of the one of the things that came up in the documentary that seems to be, uh, like. I guess the smoking gun for skeptics is where are the bones? And you did such a fantastic job um, explaining how quickly things decompose uh, out in the woods. I mean, what's in your experience uh, being out in the woods uh, working for the forestry department, I mean, what? how often did you come across like animal carcasses or anything else uh, of that, si- I mean, especially size?
3: Or yeah, not often not often um out here things decompose slower out here than they do in the where it's a lot hotter and more humid in you know say Florida Tennessee the Carolinas Georgia um and that's simply because of you know the the heat factor bugs animal predation but uh, things decompose very quickly I can honestly say I've only ever found um, occasionally uh a the skull of a cow, and because a lot of the forests out there, management areas, they um people rent uh, the areas to run their cattle on. uh, you know, occasionally a cow skull or a deer skull um but n- never anything small. You know squirrels and stuff like that they, they they're gone quickly. So, but yeah, everything decomposes so fast in the wilderness that um, I'm not surprised bones aren't found. So unless somebody digs up something and, and just happens upon um, you know, burial site, an you know, old Indian burial site and they find bones that way, but other animal bones, they, everything decomposes so quickly. And so- unless you're right there, you're not gonna find them.
2: Do you think there's a possibility like uh when people uh, discuss like in Africa like the like how elephants have their their graveyards where they where they bury uh, you know the other elephants? um do you think there's a possibility that like within like Sasquatch, there's culture that they would bury their own also? Uh,
3: mm, I've tossed it around in my brain many times uh. As much as they move around, I can't see them doing that as far as actual burials. Um, It seems more likely that they would, uh, you know, they'd put them somewhere um, where the animals couldn't get to them quickly, possibly, but then again, you'd be jill there's no way to know there really isn't any way to know um i don't think they bury their dead um i don't think they have some area they go to if they know they're dying because they they're you know the old ones die and they just you know i think they're just left there where they die
2: and i think it's natural also i mean there's a lot of animal, like in the animal kingdom if there was like an an older or sick animal it will separate itself and because i guess it i mean it'd be like a liability to the to the others in the area so and i guess yeah i guess with all the migration and whatnot i'm just i'm i'm just thinking out loud now but i mean i was just wondering maybe are there parallels to how gorillas um like when they die how they handle their deceased
3: comrades I, I, again, there's so little we know about them. Um, I, th- I'm, you know, I, I'm more in the line of that. They, they go off on their own and die. Um, I, I do think that there's more of a, uh, sense of loss within their clan group community that they travel together as. When one dies, just like say, you know, with gorillas, um, there is a sense of loss, I believe. Um, I uh, They do have, in my opinion, the intelligence level and the um, emotional capacity to have that. So, I you know they pro- they probably go off on their own and die. Um, something that would, is probably a accepted norm within the group because again, it's they are a liability to the group as a whole.
1: So, Diane, this is Brett. Um, I- speaking of. Um, you know, gorillas and other things of that nature. There's obviously there's a debate and somewhat of a divide in the Bigfoot community about what these things actually are. What is your theory?
3: Um, My theory is that they, they are more along the lines of our genus homo, but again, you know, I don't think they are an, an eight per se, like a gorilla. Because I, their intelligence level, I believe is higher. Um, so whether they're uh, uh, same genus as us, well we've yet to find out, hopefully we will one day. It just you know if if you're of the same genus as us, then it lends to, oh well, then they would have to be uh, tool users and fire because that kind of like splits us up from the other. Um, and then again, we don't know what they, I mean, do they use tools? Who know? Do you consider the possibility that they use, uh, sticks and trees as a communication? Is that using a tool, using the stick? Who knows? But then again, we don't know how they are living out there because nobody's ever walked or, you know, among them. So I think they are closer to our genus, but there's, you know, they could be anything. I don't think they're an ape as far as a gorilla goes, because I know we're part of the the ape species. We're primates, we're apes, you know, but because a lot of people say, oh, but we're apes too. Yeah, but we're of a separate genus. Um, So closer to us, I think. But again, hopefully we'll find out one day soon.
0: Yeah, exactly all right i have a two-part question here for you diane the first part of the question is working so close with the forestry service um you know there's scuttlebutt that circulates around the office i'm sure about sightings of this or that or any strange sounds um my first question is is was there scuttlebutt about the dreaded skunk ape out in florida because we're going to get into your sighting here or not the sighting but the report of the handprint at the water reclamation site So what did you hear around the office? And is there, um, well, that's the first part of the question. The second part of the question I have for you is, um, has your opinion changed over the years? Because you are one of the more seasoned voices in this community, whether you like it or not. Has your opinion changed as to what these beings are over the years and how so? but let's start okay, with the first question around, around the office back in Florida.
3: Okay. Uh, yeah. In, in, in where I worked in the areas that I worked, um, it wasn't just scuttle, but it was a known thing because we had lots of people that would report things to us. So for, I mean, our office, I mean, it's different in, in different areas, but where I worked, it was, um, a known thing. Something was out there. People would report seeing things and hearing things. Um, in fact, because uh, uh, when I when I lived in in Titusville, right there by the Cape, um, on uh, in in the Black Swamp area, Black Creek, which was the northern end of Merritt Island, which is where the Cape is, where the you know NASA is, um, they have their own separate security system, security force, and um, and this is was just simply told to me by a friend of mine who actually worked there and still does work there, um, that they have a log of, of, of sightings by their own security staff. They do keep track of that. Now, of course they will deny this and that's fine, but it's, um, yeah. So in part, you know, it, NASA, their security force there on in the northern end of the island, they keep track of it. Where I worked in North Florida, it was you know basically a known thing that yeah, keep your eyes out, and yes, we get reports all the time, and uh, yeah. So, and as far as my my thoughts changing, um, gosh, because it's only been fifty years almost, uh. But the only thing that's changed in my thought process is what they are, because in the early days it was always considered a monkey, an ape, something like that. Um, and then just through my own reading and research, that's where I went to the okay. I think it's closer to us than the gorilla. And that's about that's, you know, that's about all I can think of at the moment anyway.
1: So, Diane, um, full disclosure, as you may or may not know, we are doing a sequel to Flash of Beauty right now that covers all of the um, paranormal stuff that people have observed. And we're doing this because... um, it it was it's out there. It's you know people are talking about it. A lot of people um, are as traumatized, if not more so, by what they've seen from a paranormal standpoint, um, as compared to what they saw from a flesh and blood standpoint. Mm-hmm. And this this includes folks that have had multi experiences. And so, uh, just curious, what your take is on all of these paranormal reports that are occurring, you know, concurrently with. Bigfoot sightings or shortly thereafter, shortly before.
3: Okay. Well, because I'm not there, I can't uh okay. Um I am of the flesh and blood, not to say that there isn't something else out there. I am just unfortunately one of those ones that want scientific evidence. And I don't care what science, as long as it's scientific evidence and facts and data collected. Fine. That's that's what I want. Um, I guess it's just I've seen and and not to say anything because I, I know I'm, I'm good friends with several people that have had these kind of experiences and. I I've just heard and seen from so many and not these people, please remember so many. Hoaxsters and idiots out there just trying to either joke about it or make a name, and it it just infuriates me that they are out there doing stuff when it's just hurting the you know I, you, I can say the woo side say because that's just that's a normal term. It's hurting that research aspect because of the crap these other people are pulling and it, it it really irritates me. Because if there's something out there, I've never experienced it. But if somebody can show me the data and show me proof, I'm off, you know, show me something and I'm right there with you. I've Agreed. seen things I can't explain. And um, I'd like to know, well, what was that? And not that, it. Um, I've seen stuff that that are that is not explainable that just leaves me with the the hum factor because I can't explain it and and most of that is not attributed to anything bigfoot related so I don't know but right. I wish people would stop throwing the nonsense out there because all that does is hurt the legitimate researchers out there trying to actually say. This happened and this is what I have. And you know I, that's that irritates me the most is all the and, and on, on any any aspect, whether it's ghosts, any kind of paranormal, Bigfoot, whatever, the most irritating thing is that all these people that just hoax and lie and throw nonsense out there because it doesn't help at all.
0: Yeah, and I, 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 this is Tob again. I agree uh, with what you said here, Diana. To uh, reiterate a little bit of what Brett and Jill are feeling here about the the documentary part one. You know, the part one got into the witness testimony of what it's like to live as an experiencer and what that initial part of this is like. You know. 50 years is a long time. You've seen a lot of BS over 50 years, and then you've seen the real dollar bill. And of course, along the way um, you've experienced, I mean, I think it's been like 17 years for me or something like that. But um, this idea of omitting evidence along the way, this, this type of omission of the whole story is something that I've always had a problem with. Do you feel like There is a part of the Bigfoot mystery that has been left out because it is just far too, you use the word human like, uh, personality like. A lot of people, witnesses, most of them say, you know, I couldn't pull the gun because I was looking at a man, I was looking at a woman. What, let's talk a little bit about that is it because it bothers me that these facts are being left out, that there's this human quality that is Mm -hmm. beyond even close to what people describe with a monkey. They talk about hair. They don't talk about fur.
3: They talk about. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that.
3: Um, yeah, I see where you're going. Um, I, I would not be able to shoot one because it would look too much like us. It would be like, you know, shooting my grandfather, say, um, But then again, I'm not gonna shoot one just because I can't destroy something. Um, Yeah, uh, I do not think that they are human. I, I don't believe, at least my little feeble opinion, that they are a human hybrid. But I do believe they are of the same genus from way back. Now, because uh, mainly because the, to have a, a human component genetically, it would have to have been a lot closer in terms of years of crossbreeding. This is not something that if this if this is something that happened, um, you know, five hundred thousand years ago. Okay, but the genetic makeup would not be anywhere close to having, you know, the same genetic makeup as a, a, you know, homo sapiens, say.
0: Right. Do you think that the community, though, is guilty of omitting too much evidence because of the fact that it is such a strange thing beyond the fact that they exist at all, but given the qualities as an investigator that you know you've sat in the living room with these people of diverse backgrounds and you can see that they are more perplexed by this than seeing a cougar than seeing something rare why why do you think these details are omitted from these investigators
3: fear fear of well as far as a witness goes fear of ridicule fear of this fear of that you know normal things like that but just the fact that you're looking at something that isn't supposed to be there people know cougars in the woods and bears in the woods and squirrels and possums and you know but you see something like this that you're not your brain is not equipped to handle right then and so i i wish that a lot of evidence was not omitted but I understand why. Um, because this is something that it, it's, it takes a lot for somebody to be able to accept the fact that they're seeing something that really isn't supposed to exist because there's not been proven to exist. And oh, people laugh at people that say they've seen this. Um, sure, I wish that there wasn't so much omission in the research. And it, it would be nice if we had more brought out. But I don't see that happening.
2: And just to circle back a little bit about um, evidence, uh, one of the things that got cut cut from uh, the document, well, from the interview, is you went into very uh, detailed steps on on what someone should do if they have a sighting or. They come across like a, a, a footprint or something, and all the way from you know that the first initial, uh, you know, account of what you saw, like taking note of it, all the way to even like having a DNA person, uh, a trusted DNA person, you can send a sample to. Can you kind of walk uh, walk us through, like, if I were to be out in the woods and. I saw a Sasquatch walk in front of me, like 20 feet away. What, what should I do? What's the protocol?
3: Well, there's no protocol as far as something like that, Jill. It's, uh, to me it would be, God, I hope you've got a camera or your phone on you and please start taking, you start filming this and walking up to it. I know a lot of people think I'm crazy and they're like, Oh, you wouldn't know. You don't know. Um, so much evidence we would have nowadays of people would actually walk towards them instead of run away from them. Um, yeah, the first thing is just, you know, start walking slowly towards it. And God, I hope you've got your recorder going. Um, <laughs> people are afraid of them. And I understand they, in some sense they should be. But it should be a cautious fear, not an all-out run-from-my-life thing. Because they're out there and they're seeing you. And you don't know how many of humans they've seen. They might be just as shook up as you. Um remaining calm is huge. And I would really prefer somebody to walk closer to one than to run away from one. Uh that's how you get you gain knowledge and evidence and data and facts. Um, if I mean, and you know, if you're out in the woods and you see a footprint, of course, hopefully you're going to. Take measurements, take pictures, and cast it. And dental stone is great for that. Um, hair is hard because there's so many, unless you know what you're looking at. I've had so many people bring me horse hair, deer hair, dog hair, hog hair. You know, just because it was stuck on a fence, they're saying they're thinking it's 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 from a sasquatch, um, which in all cases it has not been. Um, But if, I mean, study, study, that's my biggest thing, study, read, look into things, learn about whether what has a medulla and what doesn't have a medulla in in hair, Um, have have a a list of people that you know you can contact immediately if anything happens. Oh my God, if you find a body out in the woods, you you need to have a plan already in place on who you're going to contact. So, you can get everything done quickly, expediently, and scientifically.
1: So, and, um, another question along these same terms. Um, so, when we were doing the documentary, we discovered that very few people are actually reporting their sightings. And um, for a researcher like yourself, how, is, how important is it that, that folks report these? Instances, even if it is a, a track,
3: it's important as far as data collection for future research. The more we know about the time of year, the moon phase, um, where it was at, uh, so we can use that data and 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 compare it to other sightings in, say, that same area. It, it just it just helps us because you're looking. Okay, Bigfoot Research is, you know, looking for that needle in the haystack. <laughs> Excuse me. The more information you have on where they might possibly be, it, it gives us a better chance of being able to be there, if nothing else, with cameras out to hopefully, you know, see one, gather more information. You know, all that, all that, it, it, it's important for data collection and knowing you know, say Washington State has the most sightings, and the most sightings happen, say uh, during this moon phase, during this time of the year. It helps us to know where we can possibly go to get sighting, get you know, have a sighting or get more information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The more information, the better.
1: The next question is, um, you know, everybody asks us, you know, <laughs> a lot of the same questions. And um, one of those is is why aren't we able to capture them on game cams? And you know we do have one in the film that uh, was taken down near Coquille, Oregon, that I think is pretty good. Um, and I show a measurement of a deer that was taken in the exact same spot. We do kind of a rough estimation that the that particular bigfooter individual was six and a half feet tall. Um, and then you can see his—I uh, believe it's his left hand. His left hand is like near his knee, if not below. Um, but what, you know, do you have any theories as to why they are so good at avoiding game cameras? No matter what the, the person does, no matter how they camouflage them, um, you know, there, there are tens of thousands of these
3: things out there. Um, knowledge of their area, uh, smell and sight. Deer can see the cameras at night. You can, you can see the deer looking at them. Uh, bear obviously love the taste of them because they go and chew on them all the time. Um, I, I think it's just more of the fact that, you know, what they're made of, they, you know, you, they can smell it. They can um, see it. They're more aware of their area because face it, if you live in an area, even if it's, you know, hundreds of miles, you travel at that area over and over and over through your lifetime, you're gonna know it. And let's face it, except for a few of us researchers, most people put game cameras on trails. It's not hard to see them. Um, so I, I it just, I don't think it's, oh, you, they just, you can't photograph them because they vaporize, no. I don't think that uh-huh. um, I do think they're more aware of their area and game cameras put off uh, a scent from the, their packaging that they're made of and sound you can, act, I mean, you can hear one, cer- certain ones. Uh, you can actually hear them.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: If you walk away from them, you can hear them. And then, you know, if they've got, you know, a light source, regardless of what it is at night, it you can right. see it so it's um it's that simple
1: yeah which makes sense and that, that makes perfect sense um I I kind of want to switch um uh, switch it up a little bit and go back to your Florida investigation that we covered in the documentary yeah. and um we've had a lot of people tell us you know what a remarkable you know sighting that um you know your uh the individual had I can't re- recall her name right now um yeah. Debbie, thank you. Yeah. But Debbie, you know, saw sure. and the evidence that was collected on site, and you know, of course, the photographs um, were great in the film. is there is there something that about that investigation that really stands
3: out for you? Oh, there um, the amount of of exposure that they were willing to give to Debbie and the other workers there at the plant it's because you know they were they were they were seen um and heard quite often and it's that that surprised me because even though and you guys have been there so it's on the edge of the St. John's um reserve but it's right there in Titusville so basically we got a lot of human habitation east of the plant, but west of, of the plant and south of the plant, there's just a you know, the reserve, you know, woods, water, animals, bugs. Um, I was I was just surprised that it was they were they were willing to expose themselves so much in an area that was so close to so many people. Um, right. That right.
1: So that was surprising to us too, because there there are a lot of major highways that crisscross through that land. Um, and it, it was interesting because um, this isn't something we talked about on camera, but we didn't know exactly where it was, and and I was hastily putting together travel plans and whatnot, and so I said, "Okay, here's a hotel in Titusville that that works for us." So. <laughs> So we booked a hotel and, um, and I said to Jill, I said, I want to get some drone shots at sunrise. Now, you know, let's wake up really early in the morning, you know, we're jet lagged and stuff. And I said, okay, now we need to find this place. I didn't really do my homework before getting there. And I pulled up a map and sure enough, it was right across the street. (laughs) It was literally right across the street. So we walked to the area where I flew the drone over the, uh, the treatment plant hopefully i didn't make anybody mad um but uh i stayed pretty high in the air um so that was kind of funny but yeah i you know it it certainly is rugged um area i mean this it's not like the pacific northwest there's not tall trees but there's a lot of brush and stuff for these things to hang out in
3: yeah yeah there is now at the time that this was happening that hotel that you stayed in was not there because <laughs> there was right. nothing there across the street but yeah um yeah, the, the terrain is different. Uh flat, a lot of water, uh, a lot of undergrowth. Um so it's it's it, it's a lot harder to get through if you're just walking through the woods. Um you have to know how to get you have to know to how to maneuver through the underbrush in the in the woods in Florida and Georgia.
1: You, you couldn't pay me enough, Diane, to walk through any of that. Absolutely not. <laughs> no way.
3: I would have held your hand and taken you through.
0: <laughs> I would have been shaking.
3: <laughs> oh, oh, It's not that bad. I mean, that's what I used to mark timber through. So.
0: All right. So, Brett, you were at the day's end, it looks like. Is this the Blue Heron Water Reclamation site? Is that the technical name?
3: Yeah, that is it
0: okay I'm, i just the first time looking at it here on google maps just to see how crazy remote and snake infested this area is um uh, yeah there's a wildlife management area nearby uh you know this has got to be run by obviously the city if not uh managed um you know in part by the state as well given the you know the acts of terrorism that have happened over the last 20 years, I would imagine that this place is probably under at least somewhat tight security. No, no, no. Explain that. That's odd to me.
3: Okay. The water reclamation plant, it reclaims sewage water and cleans it up. Basically it's a filtration system of many, many big ponds. Okay, and that's the filtration system. That water is then reused for watering lawns. It is not potable water, so it's a gotcha. reclamation plan for water to be used on your lawn.
0: Okay. 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 So it's gotcha. not
3: it, it's not like a, a the city's water source.
0: Brett flying his drone over there didn't put him on any list.
3: Nope, nope. he's good. He's good to good. go.
0: Good, good. I've been,
1: I've been sweating bullets, you guys. I'm actually looking at the, the Google Earth yeah. shot of it right now. And, well, and yeah, then, I yeah. recommend
0: anybody do it. Just go on Google here while you're listening to the podcast. Type in the Blue Heron Water Reclamation in Titusville, Florida, and get a load of how many acres of wildlife is just, what is that, South uh east or southwest of that area there there is nothing but wildlife management area between that and um gosh uh boy it goes all the way down to the everglades doesn't it
3: it's 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 a great corridor going through the central you know from the east coast down central florida all the way down to the everglades it is a very good corridor for travel um Yeah, because it's all its management area or the St. John's Wildlife, uh, I mean, uh, Wildlife Reserve, which basically goes north because the St. John's River goes up into Jacksonville. And then it used to be a lot bigger, but it goes all the way to Orlando and pass, but now Orlando is absolutely humongous. So Um, Kissimmee, where Disney World is, used to be nothing. And now it's huge. So, um, but there's still that corridor that uh, is a great travel path up and down Florida. Thank goodness it's still there.
0: Is yeah. it still a hot spot at the reclamation site for incident I sightings? Know. I
3: don't know. Debbie, Debbie retired. And so I have no contacts there anymore, but I haven't heard anything because I do check on, continually check on stuff out there um and i haven't heard anything else so um i don't know if they're still getting stuff there i I wish i could get information but i don't know anybody out there anymore so and yeah i'm just some weird lady that you know looks at looks for bigfoot they don't think much of me so
1: (laughs) so and and as far as debbie goes so she she was watching this thing kind of like glued to the uh the windows 95 screensaver right how long did she watch it
3: um oh gosh i have to look at my notes just to make sure it wasn't very long because she walked she was walking up to the door because the lights were out in the reception area office there um which is where those big plate glass windows are and where the computer was and so she was walking in from the back and she kind of stopped at the doorway when she saw it. And, you know, it could have been a, a 30 seconds to a minute, I you know, but it wasn't long. And then she moved again and it saw her and it took off. So gotcha. it wasn't long, but it was because of her movement that it saw her. But it was just like watching that whole screensaver thing going around and around. It was like, you know, I guess I really thought it was cool. But uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: do you think that's the equivalent of a, of a cat watching a laser pointer on a wall, or is there something else going on? Because like you said, this thing didn't have to expose itself. It's got the whole Everglades to roam around and watch turtles swim or whatever, you know, and it's risking itself coming up to the window and watching something like that. What do you think mm-hmm. of that behavior?
3: Curiosity. And, uh, um, at night, it was just her and one other worker that worked the night, sh- the graveyard shift. I don't think that they felt threatened by them because Debbie was leaving uh, donuts and stuff out in a basket hanging on the fence. And uh, whether it was them or the raccoons, who knows, but you know, was eating them. Um, I don't think that it, they felt threatened by them. Because I know that she had, she saw at least two different individuals.
1: That same night or, or, no, no, on no, different no, no. at
3: different times, different times. The one that was at the window, she feels that was the one that she first saw on the back edge of the property peeking out from behind a palm tree. Um, and then she saw another one on a different time. Uh, it was smaller, not that much smaller, but it was in a different hair color. And it, it crossed the road as she was coming in the long drive up to the gate. Um, she looked in a rear view mirror and one crossed the road behind her vehicle. So, and those again were all different instances, um, but she th- thinks there were at least two different individuals at different times on the property.
0: You know, you brought up Diane, the, uh, incredible photos that we have of the documentary, um, they, they show friction ridges, dermals, they show hair flow, they show thumb placement, which gets into Larry Turner's encounter. Um, as far as the anatomy is concerned and how different that is eight feet up. But then you start talking about the oil. So let's talk yep. a little bit about Sasquatch uh, latency or skin latency, something now they're coining, according to Shelley Covington, Montana, researcher out of Texas, and Doug Highcheck, this this new term for Sasquatch latent oil, Alba Vernix. Um, what do you know about it? What is your opinion of this crazy oil left behind that has for far too many years been seen as maybe just a byproduct and no more the that, um, talk to us a little bit about what your suspicions are about this oil.
3: My opinion is it's just part of their physiology. They just have very oily skin for some reason. I've not ever heard that term you were saying. I've never heard that term before. I just call it oily palms and oil, you know, ex- okay. excess oil. And, and that could just be part of their physiology. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, one, two, three, what, four, four separate instances. And the one at the water treatment plant was one. And this one I was able actually to observe of people telling me how, you know, like say a handprint that was left on the side of a car, it was very oily. So. um,
0: Do you have a chance to swab it? Was it, did yeah, anybody. Yeah, I,
3: swab I, swab oh yeah. It? I swabbed it. Yeah. I, I swabbed it and sent it off to Todd Disatel. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it was too degraded due to the intense Florida sun that was on that window. Yeah. Oh, it was. Yeah. Really? Okay. It basically baked. Have you ever stood in front of a pane glass window with the Florida sun beating down on it and ever felt how you feel like you're cooking? (laughs) Right. right. It's extremely... Extremely hot, and it it was too degraded to be able to pull anything. But then again, if I still had that sample and I had it tested nowadays, they would probably have been able to pull something, because DNA back then you had to have a you know a larger sample and a really good sample to be able to pull any kind of DNA from it.
0: Well, even early on, you know, back in two thousand and eight. No one was talking about eDNA. No one certainly right. was talking about collecting samples of the environment around footprints. So is that uh, you know? Do you know anything about that? And how do people collect environmental DNA? And what do you suggest for that?
3: Definitely, if you can afford to get the kits, get the kits. Yeah, I think that's a a, a, um, a great asset to have because um, I mean. Nowadays you can you can you can determine through, you know wildlife studies um when they're you know actually out researching certain um say a wolf pack you know they they have been able to determine right down to the individual just from that uh, it, it, it's progressed so far now so yeah if you can uh, carry some of those kits out there with you um, that's awesome as long as you got the money to get tested great Nothing's cheap anymore.
1: Do you, you, Diane, do you think that that ultimately technology is going to be what catches Bigfoot?
3: Scientifically, as far as DNA, yes. Yes, it will prove the existence of them in the wild. Yeah, because our our technology is improving by leaps and bounds. So yes, I think just scientifically, they'll be able to determine that and have a sequence
1: you think that um you know there's been a lot of kind of talk about this about how you know obviously we we won't get into this we got into it with with rich germo and our last show about mel melba ketchum's dna analysis and whatnot but um what my fear is is that you know those are genuine samples and you know we actually have it but the scientific community the academic communities too cowardly to step forth and say, you know what, we've got something that's not in our bank. We've got something that, that isn't cataloged, you know, um, what are uh, well, your feelings about
3: that? I, I, I don't want to talk about catching because I don't agree, but there are, but they, but they, there are samples out there and you're correct. It's not, not, not totally not talking about her study. There are samples of DNA that have been tested and proven that, It is a primate and it is an unknown primate. Why doesn't science want to accept that? Because science needs to see somebody walk. And I, and I do, and I, people don't like me for this, but I agree with this. People need the chain of evidence. Science needs a chain of evidence rather. Uh, They need uh, the video of you walking up, pulling that, you know, Dart out of the Bigfoot and putting it in a bag, and then watching you carry it to the lab, and then testing that blood dart and getting the DNA from that. Um, it's it, it, it it's hard. The sci- the scientific community, is ext- mainline scientific community, is extremely harsh on any evidence or anything that's shown to them that will include a new large primate existing in the world today. Mainland, you know, they, they have a really hard, scientists have a really hard time accepting that because there's not a lot, you know, most new species that, you know, there are frogs and butterflies and moths and lizards, you know, they're not a huge primate. Large, large mammals are not discovered anymore, hardly, and they have a hard time wanting to accept that. I want to see the evidence, um, mainly the you know, the chain of evidence because it's, I don't see how scientists can accept that you have a DNA sample here that does not match any known mammal on this planet. I don't know how they can't accept that, but that's how it is right now. It's just going to have to take a lot more uh, openness on the scientific community and a lot more push from researchers to um, get that evidence. I mean, look, they, they didn't jump up and down when the nests were found. I'm I'm, I'm thinking. Oh my God, that's incredible! They didn't, you know, it was like just another footnote somewhere. Yeah, the scientific community. I think it's.
1: I I personally think it's fear-based, and I think it's going to take somebody who's willing to stick their neck out and say somebody, somebody that that that's coming from a a recognizable institution or a storied background or something, something like a you know how John Mack was. I don't know if you know that name or not, but the Harvard psychiatrist. Um, who started looking into alien abductions for the listeners yeah. that don't know. You know, it's going to take something, somebody like that in the Bigfoot world to come forth and say, you know what, this is legitimate. This isn't We've had that.
3: We've had that. Bendernagle, Krantz, Meldrum. These are not, you know, these are well-known, you know, scientific men. Um, and they're, you know, a smile and a nod. And people know they're very credible, but still, it's not working. You know, these are men that know their stuff, they're intelligent, they're, you know, and, and still the scientific community is more of a, okay, yeah, you're doing good. Keep it up, pat on the back, smile and wink. And that's all they do.
2: Well, and I I think, Diane, the solution is we need a woman to go in there and you go. Uh, shake, shake some cages. And there if Jane go. Goodall could just get What's out there heart? in the field um, and seal the deal for us, I think that would be a win for science and for all the people scratching their heads trying to make sense of what they've seen out in the woods.
3: Well, Jane is a proponent of, yes, she, you know, Sasquatch is, you know, exists uh unfortunately she had it easier <laughs> so did Diane Fossey and them um their their subjects that they studied were in an area that they could you know they were right there uh <laughs> it's not that easy with Bigfoot. And yeah, I think a woman would be a lot, you know, they have a better chance of it. Sorry guys. Um, that's a
2: podcast for another day.
3: We don't want exactly right. to yeah. ruffle too many feathers. <laughs> yeah. But the whole point being that it, it, it's finding, finding a group, a clan, whatever you want to call them, a family unit, a large family. And I do believe they travel in their little groups, um, uh, finding where they're at. And then being able to study them, that's, that's the problem we're having because there's not a lot of them around and we don't know where the hell they're going from one moment to the next. So, yeah.
0: Diane, you know, over the years that you've had to look into this and get to meet all these men and women involved in this community, um, obviously there's there's Bob Gimlin's evidence and then there's... Not much else as far as um, filmed footage goes, but beyond that, I, I my question to you is: What do you think the best evidence is? You know, leaving Gimlin and Patterson's footage out. Beyond that, what what's your favorite piece of evidence besides your own?
3: Um, besides my own, um, probably the nests because that's actual physical evidence that that can be observed and recorded and
0: tell people more about these nests we haven't got into it in the show
3: and explain that yeah olympic project um which i'm a part of um uh, okay they were contacted by a gentleman that was out i think he was uh cruising timber for a company and he stumbled upon these nests on a ridge. Well, it was at more of a finger overlooking the the, the water. Anyway, nests, uh, there was 21 of them, 20. And so he contacted Derek and the group um, and Shane and them. And they went out there and they were actual woven from the foliage around nests on the ground that something had made and used to sleep in or nest in or take an afternoon nap in. I don't know, you know, but there were actual nests that were made. These were not just like, you know, a, a bunch of bushes torn down and something laid on it. It wasn't like elk or deer where they, you know, they bed down and, and the grass is flattened. No, these were actual nests that were woven. It was it, it phenomenal, phenomenal. And uh, then I, later on, they found some more, five more, was it? I got to check on that. Anyway, but that, those nests being found, to me, was extraordinary. And just the fact that this guy happened to be in that area, in the middle of nowhere, literally, uh, and found them was fantastic. So, and they've been studied and one nest was taken apart. And um, yeah, but yeah, that that was extraordinary to me.
0: And I think a recreation is uh, in Boring, Oregon, right? At Cliffs Museum at the North American Bigfoot Center. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you haven't had a chance to see the recreation or see these nests, um i i saw recreation i've seen the photographs and seen the work that they've done it's not too far from where i live here and um it uh it's exactly as diane describes it and there seems to be this this ongoing kind of respect for using the bushes the living bushes around the area to interweave not everything is torn up by the roots in fact You you can argue this point with me, uh, Diane, or bring up a different point. But it seems like they utilize the living branches, the living trees, the living maple, and and what else? The salal around there is that correct?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's softer than something dead.
0: Ah, good point. Yeah, yeah.
3: Common sense and um, critical thinking, Mm -hmm. which I believe they have. Yeah, I mean, would you rather lay on a bunch of dead sticks or do you want mm-hmm. a softer, you know, live salal and live pine rose? Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a lot more comfortable.
0: That general area is where ongoing sightings happen quite regularly and mm-hmm. um you know and I know that that's that's a pretty active area in particular. So yeah. um I agree with you that it is probably one of the best points of evidence that is totally underrepresented. And, um, it's a, it's an exciting time to, to look into this and uh, it's exciting to have you on the show, Brett, Jill, unless you guys have any questions here, um, I'm going to ask Diane what she has coming up in the future, what we can, uh, are you going to show up at any conferences? Are you uh, taking a step back? Are you taking a step forward? Are you doing the hokey pokey? Tell me a little um, bit more.
3: I'm doing the No, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to be at Forks at the conference in Forks at the end of May.
0: Oh, you are. Uh, okay. Yeah, party, party. Sure. All right. Party,
3: party, honey. Um, I'm not doing a whole lot. I'm cause I'm spending more time with my older sister and my kids and grandkids. Um, My sister's got Alzheimer's and dementia. So, it's gotten more, um, hands-on between me and my kids taking care of her. So I was going to go to the conference in May down in Ohio. Um, but I couldn't go to that because I can't be 3,000 miles away from her if something goes wrong. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to Forks because I just want to see everybody and it's close. So if I need to be home, I can be home. Um, so that's, that's about the only thing I'm planning on right now. Besides, I just go out in the woods all the time. So yeah, uh, yeah. I mean no. it
0: really is. It's hard for me not to plug it. But if Diane's going to be there, Rich is going to be there, Jill, Brett, myself, uh, Sonia Zohar, there's going to be the you know kind of some of the 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 funner names of the cast and crew of <laughs> Flash of Beauty showing up at this. So um, I hope people come out and meet you and uh, bug the heck out of you and ask you about the. Uh, the Prince and ask you questions about that dreaded skunk ape. It is a dreaded <laughs> name. So we're going to call it the dreaded skunk ape.
3: No dreaded skunk ape. <laughs>
0: thanks. Thanks for coming all the way out here. Cause it is a long drive. Um, but we're going to have a good time rain or shine.
3: Oh yes, indeed. We will. All right. Buying Drinks, right? right.
0: I'm buying dinner, buying Brett's buying drinks and, okay. uh, Jill's going to take us to the fabric store. So it's gonna I'm going to
3: consume the food and drinks. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: All
0: right, cool. It'll well, be great to see you, Diane. Absolutely. It, it will be
3: good to see you guys. It will be, it'll be fun.
0: All right. Well, thanks for joining us again and coming on the show. And I'm glad we connected finally.
3: Thank you so much. I had a good time. You guys, you guys take care. You too. Thank you, Diane. Bye, Appreciate Diane. It. Bye-bye.
0: This has been a Resonance Productions podcast. If you have questions, comments, or your own encounter story you would like to relay to the show, email us at bigfootrevealedpod at gmail.com. Also, if you're just discovering us, you can watch our documentary, A Flash of Beauty, Bigfoot Revealed, on most major video streaming platforms.